0: the 90 minutes, it will be extra time, we hope you'll stay with us. Welcome to Nessendorma. Dormer, my name is Gary Naylor and I'm absolutely delighted to invite Pat Nevin, who needs of course no introduction to our listeners, to the podcast for 30 minutes or so. Um Pat, glad to have you along, how are you sir? Um, I'm recovering.
1: You're <laughs> recovering.
0: <laughs> A bit of arm lifting after the uh, cup was lifted on Saturday.
1: I'll be honest with you. I've had one of those weekends that <laughs> you kind of dream about having, right? So, I've, fortunately, I got to go to the Champions League final. That was good enough, okay?
0: Yes. But and
1: I got all the way to Portugal, lovely place, and Chelsea were in it, and then Chelsea won the final. And then afterwards, uh, apart from all the celebrating and enjoying the game, uh, I went to the players' party, oh. uh, and, which was. Fabulous in itself, got to have a nice chat with um, Mr. Tuchel, uh, who is a lovely man. Yeah. Um and then the next morning got up after well god, yeah, got back <laughs> an hour's sleep and uh, got back home to Blighty. Um picked up a newspaper to find my books in the top ten heartbacks. Whoa! Uh, and I'm thinking, right, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> Having the best weekend you could just about imagine, and and the, and the sun's shining. So You ask, how am I? As you can guess, pretty well.
0: Well, the only piece of advice I've got for you is go out and buy a lottery ticket.
1: (laughs) I I am having one of those periods. And the stupid thing is, I released the book the week. Now, this has been planned for months, maybe even over a year, like that we'll get this book out eventually. And it's been delayed a number of times. Honestly, there was no thought of, oh, by the way, we'll release it when Chelsea win the Champions League final. (laughs) I don't think that was anyone's thought. So it was lovely. And just purely in terms of not selling, purely in terms of just having a happy weekend. You know, that's just great. So uh, I'm on a run at the moment. I'm on a roll.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, Tommy Tuchel, he seems to never stop talking on the on the touchline. And I kind of love that because I, when I'm watching football, I never stop talking either. Although mm-hmm. I'm not making decisions about uh, formations and substitutes. Is, is that what he's like in real life? Does he ever stop? He actually listens as well. He does. Is a good thing. Oh, well, that's a bit different.
1: Yeah. He'll never be a bloke. Um, so, but <laughs> he's, he does. He talks and talks and talks. But it's a, there's two things I would say about that. Number one, um, when you look at him, he's got a, a thing that's it's, it's really like a footballer, like a player, like a current player, one of the gang, one of the guys, mm. right? Now, that sounds like a very, very simple thing. Yeah, we can all do that. You try being the boss and the guy that makes all those hard decisions and being one of the guys as well. Yeah, It is the toughest of tight ropes and the tiniest of tight ropes to walk. And there are very few, do. I mean, watching Jurgen Klopp's brilliant at it, obviously, and it mm. has been for a long time, but it's a very, very tough one to do. And how he's doing it just now is absolutely exceptional. So he talks to them, he explains, but he also, I mean, shares stuff and, and he's part of them. The spirit that he's developed, now, tactically brilliant. I mean, tactically what he's done this season has been incredible. Uh, decision-making, improving players, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but in actual fact, you look at that spirit in that group uh, at the moment and it was summed up in two moments for me, season for me was summed up in two moments. The moment uh, where Cam Hudson-Odoi was brought on was it down at Southampton, I think, mm. and then taken straight back yeah. off again. Other people do that and the newspapers kept saying, that's disgraceful, that's terrible and you'll destroy that kid and I'm saying, actually no, he did the right thing there. Mm. The player didn't do what he was supposed to do, either didn't understand or didn't do it to that level it was affecting the team's balance. Uh, just come back off again and you can have another go when you're able to do that. And it was no nastiness. it was no negativity. It was just, look, we can't do that. We're a team. It's more important than that. And I knew there was no viciousness about it. It wasn't teaching a lesson. And th- it was a real moment for me where I was watching a lot of the people in uh, journalism circles shocked at them and me thinking... Ah, but you need to know the guy mm. and he was right there and the other moment was on the touchline um, just the other night there'd be six minutes five minutes to go and there was an absolutely pivotal moment he was the team was tiring Chelsea were tiring they were going to put under a bit of pressure and you can see Jorginho was running in empty so was Havertz and he turned not to the team but he then turned to the fans and mm. talked to them Yeah, and the, the reaction that reaction that he got lasted the next uh, 11 minutes constant the noise the raising of noise from Chelsea fans was unbelievable and a bond was built in that moment in yeah. that precise moment and that uh, they got a lift players got a lift Man City players looked actually quite despondent about it mm. uh so yeah I'm quite impressed though
0: <laughs> yeah evidently and it's a it's a strange alchemy that that brings young men and i'm sure in the women's game young women together with one or two father figures come regimental sergeant majors whatever it might be and how that spins into gold is is something that that runs as a thread through your your book actually and we're going to talk particularly about um, the section on everton um about how that that might not have happened and how it might have mm-hmm. happened. But let's let's go back to the, the start. And I've, I've read your book and I enjoyed it very much. And we'll put links and tell people where to buy it because anybody with an interest in, in football or indeed an interest in the social uh, dynamics of the 80s and 90s will, will gain an enormous amount from it. But um, it was something of a surprise to learn that you, you hadn't Written the book before, and indeed, it, it took some snotty-nosed kid um, <laughs> giving you a lesson on clickbait to uh, to make you pick up the pen. So, yeah. you know, why, why now?
1: Well, I had written a book on psychology um, yes. with someone else, yes, course, but it. you're right; I hadn't written that type of book and all my own kind of work. I'd sat down and you know, at the, I was going to say, typewriter <laughs> at the computer and uh, battled it out really quickly and then worked on it. Purely because I hadn't had time. Um, I'd been a football player for a long time, but I'd done other jobs while I was doing it. I was writing for newspapers. I was working in the media. I was chief executive of a club for a while. I was chairman. Yeah. I, was, I, I did so many different things. And by the way, uh, very importantly, living a life as well. Yes. <laughs> so I'd, I'd, And I'd worked very, very hard for a long time uh, in terms of time. I don't consider my work as hard. It's purely in terms of the amount of time I've had to put into it. Um, but I kept on meaning to write this stuff and everywhere I went around the world the various you know, journals would tell stories in bars late at night and they would go you got to write that down you've got to start writing those stories down I'm like yeah I'll get around to it and it just took somebody to nudge me uh, and annoy me and I thought no I'm, I'm going to write my I right." write and I just sat down and wrote it I didn't talk to a publisher I didn't talk to anyone yeah. very much the punk ethos of yeah. right I'll go write it and then find somebody to put it out there. And if you like it, like it. If you don't, you don't. Um, and it was it was lovely to have that level of control. You know, absolute control of it. It's not me. You're, you're, you're hearing my voice. I don't know how you felt about that. But you're hearing my voice. You're not hearing anyone else's voice. You're not hearing a nice version of it. It's me. Um, and I wanted it to feel like that. And just things like I knew the structure I wanted. It took me away to figure out the structure, but I knew the structure that I eventually wanted and there's a couple of little tricks in there which I'm kind of pleased about. Like you'll have probably noticed the notes, yeah, that are very long, very um, academic. Eh, well, it's, it's academics one thing, but the academic that did it was uh, was Adam Kay, who wrote that book yeah. Uh, yeah, about the junior doctors. And I just thought, if it's academics, usually notes that are short, but they can be fun. Yes. And I was, yeah. So it was an ability to go off a tangent, and come back on again, which. I have just done again. <laughs> that, that was a note there, by the way.
0: Yes. <laughs> um,
1: so I, it, was, it was something I was always going to do. And when I started writing it, I am utterly addicted to it now. I love doing it.
0: Fantastic. I mean, it does come across to the reader. Um, I've enjoyed reading um, Alistair Campbell's diaries and the Tony Benn diaries are a kind of benchmark, I think, of political diaries and the Chris Mullen diaries, and as a few others have read, uh, Roy Strong. These are all diaries rather than memoirs. But I got the same feeling from your book that you're almost sort of, um, if the image isn't, uh, isn't a little too much, you're almost kind of lying next to me in bed talking to me uh, through the pages. Um, there's no interpolation of a ghost and there's a real immediacy in the prose that, that, that comes through. And I know you've recorded the audio book your, yourself. That must be even more evident in uh, in that format.
1: Oh, you're good. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. There was a bit of me when uh, I got, I was slightly surprised. But the reaction that we got from, you know, the first, we sent a few books out to people who, you know, within the industry, but also that we can admire or liked. And uh, the the reaction was so positive that the, the publisher said, look, you've got to make an audio book. And I said, I'm mm. like, oh, audible book, brilliant. Who are you going to get to read it? And they went, well, you. I went, me? this said what Watford can understand a word I say. Um, but I, I said, well, put on, put on your Radio 4 voice. Yes. Um, but then I did it. And um, without sounding like somebody who's wearing a, a neckerchief and a smoking jacket, once I kind of found my voice in it, uh, which was after a few hours, mm. I absolutely loved it. And you're right, it's the intonations then you can really do. And yeah. even silly things like, you know, and Hansen's accent, oh, I can't believe you did that. You know, I can do all sorts of things with it. I loved doing the audiobook. And you're right, people have got in touch a lot recently and said, because the Audible books are, they're big, they're big business a lot of oh, yeah. love them you're driving and yeah you're out walking a dog or out running or whatever it's it's a brilliant thing so um i think it, it is certainly at least or maybe even slightly more and i'm doing myself down here because it's half the price <laughs> <but it's, laughs> to, to actually hear the voice and get the exact intonation of what you felt yeah it's, it's good It's stylish. i love it and thank you for saying that by the way when i released this big i promise you one thing i only wanted somebody say well, that was well
0: written. Was well. <laughs> no, it, it, it very much is. I was slightly um, surprised isn't the right word, but I didn't expect a, a, a Pat Nevin book to be called My Story or the Story of the Blues or something as cliched as that. But you went with the Accidental Footballer, and in reading the text, I, I felt you were less accidental and more reluctant. Um, yeah. What What did you come up with that that title which obviously is an arresting title always quite handy to have an a in the title i find as well But anyway
1: <laughs> right okay uh, there's two things that i have to put my hand up and immediately on up to not my idea that one and um, that was uh, the editor at the end of it because i hadn't thought of i was a number of things i hadn't done a prologue i i took it to them without a prologue without uh couple of other things like this chapter titles but I knew I was going to put music you know in there as the chapter titles because there was a good reason I would thought of to do that and it's mm. about putting in a, 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 a bug in your head to bring you back in time so I thought of that beforehand but the other thing I can't take any credit for is the design yes. and the 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 front cover I, I I just think it's astonishing I think it's absolutely brilliantly done and I can say that because it's nothing about to do with me I made one change to it. <laughs> the, the P in part, I got them to round off the edges of it. Other than that, so I, I will only take credit for things that are made. No, it's uh, the editor who I uh, took the final copy to, it. and he, I said, look, I'm not arrogant. I've, I've not written a book before, but what do you think? And he liked the writing, and he just said, look, let's talk about a couple of things. And It was one chapter. He said, look, you've written that, and it's great journalism. I went, oh, thanks. He goes, no, no, don't say thanks. I want to hear you again. I <laughs> don't uh, want to hear the journalist. Yeah. I went, yeah, I've got you, man. So I went, I just went away. So he, he didn't write a word. He just said, look, and he's, he's got, an ear for, he got an ear for it. But he was the one that said, look, um, what do you think, the accidental football? And I went, um, I hadn't thought of that. And the more you think about it purely in a kind of a business sense, it, it does work. You know, the accidental whatever yeah. has been used before. But it, it kind of hits well. We actually did think of the reluctant footballer as yeah. well, but accidentally has a, a kind of. I'm a, I'm happy with it, but if you say reluctant, fair enough, actually.
0: <laughs> well one of the things and i hope you're going to say yes but one of the things about the design is that the photograph of of you on the front cover and it has uh your name there and you are one of the uh lines in the v yeah. and of course you're leaning to the left which is yes. something that uh, <laughs> that comes across uh on every page i do hope that was deliberate
1: I wish it was. <laughs> I, can't, I can't lie. I've got this thing. I, I've never really lied. I, I, I was just not really good at it, apart from anything else. Um, I love the idea that it went that way. <laughs> so, but no, I hadn't considered it. But they, certainly it's, it's not my my politics, as you can tell, they're more social, yeah. towards socialism-ish, as opposed to tub-thumping lefty shouting and bawling. You know, they don't come across that way, so... You can read it, but you'll know where I am. You know where I'm coming yeah. from, obviously. I'm not hiding that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's political a lot of times with a fairly small p. And saying it's like, it's, I can, someone said to me recently, uh, you're brought up with that Catholic background, and you, you almost can't be, you know, you need to be a, a kind person, You need to a socialism, a Catholicism, a Christianity, all that sort of stuff. But you actually don't actually need to, have a big banner saying you are any of those things mm. you just need to take the best things out of any of those ideologies and uh, certainly it's not hidden there and, and of course that's another reason why you know I wanted to use I quite like the idea of the outsider but Albert Camus got yeah, there before me so to it. yeah <laughs> it's
0: uh, the um, I mean I grew up in Liverpool. You may tell from my accent and politics in Liverpool and politics in Glasgow. You know do tend to the uh, tub thumping, especially in the years when we were growing up. I, I remember my my father when we were watching the election results coming in, and this would be seventy nine or maybe eighty three, and uh, they, they would then go to the count in, in Glasgow, I think Central Hall or something, where they would count all the Glasgow constituencies. And my father always used to say, "Oh." This will be good. <laughs> and the shouting <laughs> no. and the screaming and the, everything else started up. Uh, so I, I, I kind of understand uh, that, a, that there's a, a, a politics which is less of the tub thumping and flag waving and more of the living the values, the. the and also the f-
1: conscientiousness of it you know 11 values is absolutely
0: right i mean philip philip k dick says we are what we do uh, in his short story human is and i've had that as a bit of a credo for uh the last 30 or 40 years although i I don't always live up to it i try and um (laughs) you know i I see that coming through in, in many aspects of your your um memoirs here um so um in the early days in in Glasgow, you're like a kind of reverse Rod Stewart. You know, Rod would give anything up to be a footballer and instead was a musician. And you get the idea that you would give anything up uh, to be a, a musician and, and turned into a, a, a footballer. Um, there was... There was talk in those days, I was probably reading this in When Saturday Comes or in the NME, that that you were going to pack it all in as a footballer. And you do, you do waver in those early days. Um, mm. Was there ever a time when you were serious about just playing for fun as opposed to making it such a pillar of your life?
1: All the time. Mm. <laughs> all the time. It never, ever um, changed. Certainly after the first season of so with Chelsea. I mean, I wouldn't play of the year. We get promotion to the top division in England. And it all seemed swimmingly. And I was absolutely on the cusp of saying, uh, I think I might have had enough of this. I yeah. love the playing. But I can go and play with my mates. I'll still get that joy. I quite like the idea of a, a more normal life. Um, and it was it really a few times it came very close to me thinking, I don't hate Football, I love playing football. Yeah. I can't really stand a lot of the other side of it, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't like the whole celebrity culture thing. And my God, if I didn't like it, then what do you think I feel about it now? You know, so, which is, uh, and by the way, yeah, i done really well staying away from celebrity culture. So what did you do as your job? I uh, played football, then I was on the telly, then on the radio. So I blew it, really. Um, but in the end, I, think I, also, I thought quite simply as I went along, I can do this and do it as a job and then play on a Saturday and then I can be normal mm-hmm. all the rest of my week. It doesn't have to define me. And maybe that's one of the, the stories of the book. I'm allowed, maybe I look like an outsider, but it, the job doesn't always define you. It might define you for other people, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't have to define you for yourself. So I was able to find a space and an idea where I could live that life and I didn't take part in that other side of it. And that's what made it joyous and easy for me and And, what made it capable
0: and yet at the time particularly for those of us who were lurking around sports pages reading the, the fanzines and as i say reading nme and stuff like that you were if not like George Best, the fifth Beatle, you were—you were kind of the fifth Bunny Man. You were—you were, you were yeah. peeking out from behind that lady die fringe, looking mean and moody in, in photographs, <laughs> and, and telling us that that you know that that you were reading Chekhov uh, rather than watching him on Star Trek uh, and stuff like this. <laughs> so, y- y- you almost embraced the kind of anti-celebrity. Was that? Was that? Did that just happen, or were there times when you felt? I'm Going to have to make a stand here. I can't just be defined as Chelsea's exciting number seven shirt.
1: No, it's just natural, it's 100% just natural. There was no consideration, yeah. It just made sense to me. And I, some people don't understand it, it's hard to explain. You know, I will get asked to go on Wogan, which was the biggest yeah. show, and I would say, No chance, why would I do that? And if, but if I get asked by, um, I've got a fuzz box and yeah. I'm going to use it to go in their video in the background. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> you know, you know, it just, to me, it makes perfect sense to do the thing. That's a bit of fun. It's, you know, helps someone else out a little bit. There's no financial reason for doing it. It's cause it is a nice and in some ways for my personality, the right thing to do. I didn't think it was any way unusual, but it wasn't forced. It wasn't deliberate. Mm. I mean, the classic example is I'd, I'd never, I never went on Question of Sport. I mean, everyone's been on Question of Sport. I was asked every year, year yeah. in, year out, year in. But I went on the art version of it with George Melly because oh, that right. would be much more interesting. <laughs> so that, that's, you know, I just wanted to be me. And I thought, I'm just going to continue to be who I am. There is no reason, just because everyone else thinks, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that for your football. And I'm thinking, no, I don't. I do what I want to do. But in the midst of all this, and it's important for anyone who, who doesn't know me or doesn't know the book, that didn't mean I was anything other than utterly dedicated to playing. Yeah. I loved playing, and I loved training, and I trained more than anyone else, and I was a fanatical distance runner. So you stick all those things, and people think, oh, you're not dedicated to it. Yes, I am. I'm <laughs> dedicated in that lot. Um, so it's a dichotomy that I think a lot of people, and certainly a lot of people in the game, found difficult to understand, but when they did understand it, particularly certain coaches, they, they liked it. They u- usually liked it. And if you were a good coach who had the right action towards the games, you ought to like that because what you've got is somebody who will do anything for fitness and for a skill to, to make themselves better and do the right thing for the team. So it is a dichotomy. So it's not a simplistic idea. I get that. But for me, it was obvious. And it wasn't in any way affected, oddly enough.
0: So we're not going to see you going into the jungle, much as we'd like to.
1: I've been asked to do quite a lot of I'll things bet. in the last few years. Um, and this, see, I've got kind of, I want to own up to something, right? Go on. So I, I've got almost, I've got the worst memory in the world <laughs> for names, right? Yeah. I am awful with names. So you get asked to do all these programs, all these kind of, uh, you know, because quiz shows are massive just now. And I'm going, I, I, Annabelle, I can remember my wife's name. But I see after that... <laughs> And by the way, that's not something got to do with you know, anything other than life. It's just I've never had a very good memory for names. I think it's, it's called nominal aphasia. So what do I do as a job? I do co-coms that I have to remember <laughs> <laughs> on.
0: You should, you should be like Freddie Flint up and have, his, uh, have the names of your kids tattooed on your bicep. I always um, think it's <laughs> in case he forgets the names. <laughs>
1: but it's, so there's that kind of madness. But we're doing the book here, and I've never had an agent before, and I mentioned that. For this book, I didn't know literary circles, so I asked somebody, a friend is an old friend, and she's she's been a friend since it was like 1920, yeah. we met uh, at the Edinburgh Festival, and uh, she's a very good agent, but I refused to let her be my agent because I didn't want to stop being my friend. It's a bit like that football thing. Yeah, I didn't want to be a professional because I didn't want to ruin my love of the game. You know, I met the best agent I could imagine meeting, but I didn't want to stop being my friend, so... I wouldn't have her been my agent. <laughs> so so I, I thought that was perfectly natural. But anyway, she's actually been the agent for the book. And she said, you know, you need to do some things. I'm like, you know, I don't like it. Um, anyway, she's got me to do one quiz. And I'd say to her, I, I'm so uncomfortable because I have no memory. I'm going to look. People think I'm thick. And she said, do you mind that? And I went, Actually, I, I don't. So <laughs> it's, it's okay. Um, but the odd one, the, the one that I can do, and I did go on one because I thought it was fun, was uh, Eggheads. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Do you know why? And why? This is the, the absolute giveaway. And, and I think this is perfectly normal because they give you the answers yeah. there. There's, it's multiple choice.
0: Oh, yeah. So yeah.
1: I, know the, I know the answer. I just can't remember it. But if you give me four answers, I'll give you the answer, by or three answers. I'll give you the answer. It's okay, I know it. But she's trying to get that name from the back of your mind from somewhere I can't do it. Well, anyway, when you see me turning up in Mastermind, hide behind the sofa, right? <laughs> and I warn you now, hide behind that sofa, because I'll get nothing. They'll ask me who my manager is at Chelsea when I was playing there, and I'll not, I'll not get a name. I'll just go.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I, I mean, my memory used to be good, but I know Domini chips away at it every day these yeah, days. But- that and I think the booze in the twenties and thirties catches up, but uh, but there's lots of memories in the book, and I want to take you back to to one because I have a particular reason for this. Um, you talk about uh, your, I mean, obsession has kind of got a psychological meaning. I'm using it in more in the common sense uh, aspect of the word, but but you play football as often as you can and your father is obviously instrumental in that and you play at various clubs Um, but you also talk and I I know this myself because I remember those days of playing on kind of ash pitches and that it was a it was a a kind of luxury to play on on grass I mean what was it like growing up as a, a gifted footballer playing on some of these surfaces
1: um oh I love the fact that you've asked that question i've got a
0: reason behind it which i'll come to after your response Uh, you see right
1: so by the way the joy of doing this any interviews i've done the book so far no one's asked about the same things (laughs) and uh, and, uh, that has been uh, nothing's made me happier but so i'm thinking there must be a couple of interesting things Uh, no one anyway you're the first person to ask me that so uh. thank you for that right um oddly enough because you grew up with it as a kid, it was norm, right? So it's normal. So you're used to it. And it's, you know, when you're younger, it's easy. And a lot of times it was rutted. A lot, certainly if you fell on it, you knew all about it. You, you're going to scrape and hurt yourself quite a bit. Um, so it wasn't perfect. But as you say, when you got to get a game in grass. Now, there's, there's kids out there who listen to this and go, what? You mean it wasn't 5G? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I would have argued, and I would still argue now, have a look at what Diego Maradona played with him when he was a kid. You know, Pele, lots of, young, lots of great players in the past. It is a help. It is not a hindrance. Ah.
0: Because
1: you learn to play with baubles and you learn to play with not not perfection. And uh, so when we did play in grass, it was like joy. I mean, you play around grass around the back gardens when you can find a bit of grass. You do that. But actual football games were always an ash unless it was a cup final. Um can I tell you a very quick story from Go somewhere on. else completely? No, i not going to do with a book at all, but it really, really made me happy. Um, you watch the players just now, and they've all grown up with academy pitches, absolute perfection. Every single game they play, every single week, in a, a bowling green, right? Absolute bright. And I'm looking going, you don't know how lucky it is. When I was playing for Chelsea, I mean, I played forever. It was gorgeous. I mean, I yeah. love Goodison. It was carpet, but not all pitches were like that. In fact, very few were like that. Anyway, and, I, and I, people would say to me, ah, the, the players today have got such skills. And I'm thinking, well, I'd like to see them playing in some of the conditions we had to play with. But, you know, it, it, times change. Anyway, Manchester City, about three four years ago, came down to play Spurs at Wembley after an NFL game had been played the night before. Yeah. And they cut it up. And it was exactly like the, the pitches we used to play in November. They couldn't play in it. They just could not play. And even my hero, David Silva, they couldn't do it. Yeah. They couldn't play that type of football that they play now, the zip, 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 ticker, tacker. It's actually not possible to do it. So it kind of almost made me feel kind of, right, you may have a little bit of dig at some things about the game in the past, but some of the reasons why they didn't play that type of football was because you can't on those surfaces. Um, so it actually made me feel quite about my time of football.
0: <laughs> well, that—that was—you've really answered my my point because uh, I often go on about it on Ness and Dorma, which obviously looks at eighties and nineties football, but perhaps the biggest change in terms of not being so much spoken about and god knows there's enough stuff spoken about in football are the change to the pitches at all levels of the game as you as you say you know you you talk about stanford bridge being a potato field that you were mm-hmm. playing on and that's you know only 20 or so years ago um but uh, it's interesting you say that because there is the school of thought and you've uh you've Put that forward that the, the likes of Maradona and and uh, Jimmy Johnston, I suppose at, uh, at Celtic, they played. I think Ginnel football, they call it, in the back alleys and so on. But I I get the feeling that that, or it's my hypothesis, so to speak, that that England are producing many more of these technical players like Mason Mount and, and um, uh, Phil Foden, uh, yeah. who who will come along, and maybe uh, Raheem Sterling, who will come along once in a generation and now coming along in batches of of twos, threes, and fours because they've only known 3G pitches. They've only known the ball to obey the instruction that they give to their, their foot. And while that may mitigate... The imagination required to to deal with the the bubbling ball and the the, the ploughed field, as you say, when confronted with it, even the likes of David Silver found it difficult. Is it it's, is is there something in that? And do England, in particular, stand a better chance at the Euros to come? Because we've probably got more technical players in this squad than we've certainly had in my lifetime.
1: It's part of it, but there's other things as well. Yeah, as um, a massive thing. Um, Anybody's English is listening. I'm, I'm not anti-English. I, I love. I mean, I work in England. I've lived the last parts of my life in England, and, and I want England to do well. Except for one game this uh, coming summer. Um, the problem was, do you know during this, the 80s, 70s, but 80s particularly, and the 90s, everybody was laughing at you. Yeah. All the rest of us around the world were laughing at you because your tactics were awful. Yeah. You know, the, the game was based on. Hughes' long ball game yeah. the England manager Graham Toole who I love the man but it was long ball it was positioned at maximum opportunity the homo yeah exactly and a lot of the teams were playing it a lot of the teams had a version of it and some of us were thinking what are you doing You out with it coming down as a Scot, I was thinking that is rubbish you know so the technical side of it where you were thinking and by the way there were plenty of people shouting get it in the mixer yeah. and there was plenty of fans shouting it Oh, man. many many journalists shouting it right and oh you're, you're overdoing it you're too flashy too fancy remember the culture was that i felt out of time absolutely out of time. wrong place wrong time because i did not see that as in any way a sensible way to play football but you know mm-hmm. each to their own so that's been dumped but it's been dumped later than everyone else mm-hmm. so one of the things that's making it better is because you've dumped that and you've now got good academy ideas and certainly what they're, they're doing in the National Academies is really, really good. So that's why you're getting... And in the, the City Academy and certainly Chelsea are doing the same. They're miles, they're light years ahead of what it used to be. So you will get Grealishers, you will get, you know, Vodans, you will get good technical players. Um, it does help a bit when you can train longer and better um, on good good surfaces. But there's wee technical things even further than that that people like me would know about. Um... You don't get the kind of types of change of direction dribblers that you used to, because you can't do it them in the modern pitches. So it's a hard thing to explain to people.
0: But is, it the, little, is it the density of the grass? Yeah,
1: it's just it's rock hard. Yeah, it's absolutely rock hard. So and just below the surface, it's it's like concrete. So if there's any moisture on it, which they try and put moisture on at all, whatever you do, if you go in full speed and then try and turn them to go back to exactly where you came from, which you know, many good dribblers like Chinky, Jimmy Johnson, you mm. mentioned that, you'll just fall. Mm. <laughs> Your feet will go. So look at it and think about it. It's an interesting thing for fans to think of now. Look at the ones you talk about now. Even the fabulous Eden Hazard. They're slalom players. Yeah. They slalom through. It's not, it's not check and cut and move and all that sort of stuff. You can do that to agree at a slightly slower pace and it still works really, really well. But the very best ones you talk about now, a slalom, Kevin De Brown is a slalomer, isn't he? Yeah. And yeah. definitely Foden's a slalomer. And Cristiano Ronaldo's a slalomer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the art, they can do other things. Of course, they can, I'm saying, not saying it's a lost art, but that's a massive change, and that's partially because of the pitches. So there's a simplicity of, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're better pitches now. Well, they're better on some things, the most things, and I would prefer the modern ones. I've got downsides as well, and I've got a slight worry in the, the future that, um, from the man here with two, hit, two metal hips, I think there's damage going to be done. That these players are playing in these rock hard pitches, games and training every single day. There's, yeah, there's, a, there's going to be a price to be paid.
0: That's very that's very interesting because I want to I want to come to aspects of that uh, element of the game mm-hmm. a little a little bit later on. But I, I mean, I I think it's. I've never seen, you say slaloming, I, I spend a bit of time watching ballet, and I know you've, you've been to mm-hmm. the ballet as, as well, and the balance of the dancers and the way they move through space, um, I, I see more and more of it in players. It, Jesse Lingard a few years ago at a, I remember seeing him playing Everton at, at Wembley and he just floated over the ground. And you see him at West Ham where he's got this free roll and he floats over the ground as well. But one of the reasons why they can do that is that the it's almost like the kind of hard running track you would find at the Olympic games where you've got Usain Bolt banging his feet into the ground in order to propel him down that hundred meters. So it's not something I've thought of, but I, I Perfectly take your points.
1: I, I, but I love the way you mentioned balletic because I would take that as a compliment if anyone would have said it to me, but it wouldn't have been the natural thing. Um, I've good friends are uh, ballet dancers, yeah. ballerinas. Um, there was so much in common of what we went through as people, you know, in, in, the, in those two industries, which people are always surprised about. But see when you see balletic, it's always been there. I can remember a very young man watching Colin Bell. I yeah. thought, wow he moves differently from everyone yeah. else. And so it's so hard to put your finger on it. And you you mentioned Jesse there, but I, I think we've got one in our midst here is possibly the most elegant I've seen in... I, I can't remember if I've seen a more elegant mover than Kai Havertz.
0: I knew you were going to say that because he is just an aesthetic delight, isn't he? Yes, isn't everything he? Everything he does.
1: I mean, I said to... He was having a stinker at start of last season and I've seen to people he could be one of the greatest players in the world. And we're going, to oh, shut up, you and your Chelsea-mindedness or whatever. <laughs> no, he's unbelievable. He's just, I mean, let's say unbelievable, I shouldn't say that, because unbelievable is strictly limited to N'Golo Um <laughs> <laughs> Which it is, isn't it? mean, One of the things I love about the game, I love watching individuals and trying to deconstruct them. I was talking to, who was it, um, Robert Snodgrass the Yeah and uh, we we're doing an interview and we we're talking about various things uh the, the, the guy interviewer said oh we could do that robert Snodgrass of Scotland someone to take free kicks and i said yeah i deconstructed his um method of kicking a ball and he went what I went, oh i went online and got stuff from you and deconstructed it and it showed your body positions and made an analysis pieces out for something i was doing and he was like you do that, do you? I mean, yeah, of course you I thought that was normal. And I love that deconstruction of people so you understand how they can do what they can do. And some because 'cause everyone's got something special. Not everyone, but they're very good players. I've got something that they can do that nobody else can do anywhere as near as well. And I love the de- I did it as a kid. I used to deconstruct great players with Celtic and all that as a kid through. I can't deconstruct Uncle, can I? I can't do it. I have no idea how he's doing it. It's, it's the only one I've ever, and I look at it, and I've I've come up with a plan, right? And see see if you go with me in this one, right? Do you ever watch? Do you ever see the films with Harry Potter and yeah. Hermione, Hermione Granger? Yeah. And then one of them, she gets a time turner where she can live slightly in the future.
0: Yeah.
1: I think N'Golo can has got one around. <laughs> I think I think he lives about two seconds further ahead of his, the rest of us, right? So he knows what everyone else is going to do, and he he, he can be an tackle where three people are in there. And they all lie on the ground, and he walks away with it, and you go, I know. I know. how did you do that? It's not natural. It's really, really unnatural. And I love doing that. And, I, and by the way, it's players throughout the league. And I'm, you can you see I've, and hear I've still got that joy and love of that side of football. And I still have the disdain and disinterest of the other side, which you know is the kind of, I call it tabloidy, but it's the kind of, yarboo suck stuff that we get in some radio stations
0: yeah some
1: places I, I just I don't have any interest in it Probably why they don't ask me God
0: <laughs> <laughs> well uh, on on Kante uh, the first time I saw him was a televised game for Leicester and my uh, elder boy you know he he looks at the stats and the transfer stuff and everything like this and he said oh yeah you know they bought him because of his stats this lad Kante and you, you look at him and he's a little fellow, isn't he in, in the midfield and I was watching him and I had to ask my boy, at least a couple of times. Is that Kante? Because he seemed to be playing in both penalty boxes at the same time. And I, I've never seen a player read the game as well as, as he does. Uh, and mm. to have the athleticism, uh, athleticism to do it and to be as positive as he is. And... In the Champions League final, I I said to someone that as a neutral, I couldn't lose on Saturday night because the two players who've given me most pleasure in the last five or six years were both playing. You had Riyad Mahrez on one side and N'Golo Kante on the other. And I could just watch those two players play every match for the rest of my life and not get bored watching them. Um, so it was Cante's day, but I hope Mares gets his, his chance in the in the future to to cap his career.
1: Uh, I would throw De Bruyne in that bunch as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, um, but there's there's, a, with Mares has a little bit more fragility, I think, than De Bruyne. There's just something. It always seems more of a high wire act for me, and I love that. Element of jeopardy in in Mara's game, despite the fact that he kills Everton every time he plays against us. But uh, but yeah, yeah. About De Bruyne, absolutely, absolutely. I, I want to um, talk a little more about Chelsea now, if I if I may, and I want to. Uh, raise a point it's in the in the memoirs because you've already mentioned that you know you're very much a, a man who walks through life with a hat on the side of your head uh, yeah. whistling a, a, a happy a happy tune and it's great that you get that from the book but you're not uh, averse to looking at the the dark side of of uh, your experiences in football and i, I don 't want to go through all of them by by any means, but you talk about um, paul Canaville, don 't you in your time at, at Chelsea and the the racism that he suffered and I just wanted to To and did your work with the the PFA on some of this. I was on those terraces at the time, and I don't know how much you could hear from the pitch, but it was absolutely everywhere on the terraces. And it wasn't just Everton and it wasn't just Chelsea, it was everywhere you you went. And you know, it might not be a, a huge percentage, but because you can hear hundreds and hundreds of people are within your earshot on a crowded terrace, you would just hear this all the time and it wasn't just the kind of concerted chanting that we all kind of know about it was just, just everyday casual racism and I don't know how players coped with it did you hear it from the pitch did players talk about it was it just accepted um it, it, looking back on it it seems an, a, a kind of mass psychosis that, that gripped fans but it was everywhere
1: I would disagree with your fans I'd say culture. In our nation. Well, I
0: think Uh, it was most obvious. You never heard as much as you heard in a concentrated way on the terrace
1: Yeah, but you turn on the telly and it was there as well. Yeah, it Um, was. Look, so how I grew up, I didn't understand why no one was speaking about it. And hence, when I did speak about it, and it's covered in some depth in the book, and I'd I'd get so angry about it, and I would be shouting and bawling after games, and particularly when we can, Paul Cannaville after a game against Crystal Palace, I wrote about um, where I refused to talk about the game. Because, and I scored the winner, yeah. 1-0, but I just, just, I'm not having that. Um, I cannot accept that you people are just ignoring what's going on here. And the honesty is, and it's, it's quite clear on the book, they didn't see it as a problem, a lot yeah. of people. They just thought that's the way yeah. the nation is. And I said, well, the nation should, should stop being like that. They. Yeah. And it was very. It made me furious, Now, of course, i had been involved in the anti-apartheid stuff, and I was a student before that. So I was, you know, I was coming from a certain place, and certainly within the structure of football at the time, that there wasn't that type of education. Um, but I, it was. I just thought it was high time, and it wasn't considered. It wasn't me trying to start a movement. I mean, i would be very keen. I, I have two doctorates now, yes. both given for, both given for specifically that for the, the work I helped and start. St- and starting up the anti-racism campaigns. But I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for a campaign. It was just this damn right yeah. thing to do. And it upset me that nobody else was doing it. And also the fact it upset me, I knew I had to, at that time, talk about Chelsea fans, but I knew, that it, was, I knew it was elsewhere. Yeah. And, and even fans now, if you, and the, the nice thing is a lot of come clean and accepted, oh, my God, did I say that? A lot of people said that. Yeah. And, and, and sang those songs, et cetera. Um, but I had to out the Chelsea fans, and it was hard to do because they liked me. Um, but I was saying, look, I know it's not hundred percent. In fact, I don't even think it's ten percent. But I hear that lot because they're loud and noisy. Yeah. And there is a lovely piece in the book where, um, again, when I did this and the club, what they they thought it was taking a chance and it was dangerous and why am I doing this, etc. And I was fuming with them for their attitude. However. In the next game, I walked out at Stanford Bridge and I took uh, Canners out with me and Kerry Dixon, and they sang Paul's name first. Yeah, and I thought, yes, it works. because I didn't know it worked. I was only a kid. It was like 1920, but and I thought, yeah, it does. This, this can happen. So I mentioned it in the book as kind of cl- as that was the moment, and then it was in newspapers and all the rest of it. But I was talking about it all the time. So you know, I was without being, I'd complete bore completely bored about it every time you spoke. But I would try and bring it into conversations uh, in every newspaper or, or lots of newspapers, because I've either done or when I was doing stuff for the NME, or I would always just bring it up and say, "Look, this is madness, and this, 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 this cannot come on." And I was open enough to talk to people who disagreed with me, um, and you know, I, I just wanted to have that debate, and I wanted to have a debate that was not just me and football fans it was everybody in the game but then everybody in the country and society um, and it's a debate you know and it took a long time for that to, and I, I, I hated the fact that it took so long to start and to get it moving but you know I i have to applaud the PFA the PFA are often ignored in this And uh, the word that Gordon God Taylor did I watched it the clubs got on board eventually but the PFA were driving it really early on um, I'm so happy about that there's a number of things in the book that uh, history has been rewritten by a number of people. Uh, see, when we were there, when I was there watching it, I applauded that. I mean, I, I wasn't chairman at the time, I was long before I was just a member. Uh, but I was really happy that Gordon and his people said, Yeah, yeah, this has to be done. I think my phrase was, What the hell kept you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, but, then that, but that was society at yeah. the time. Um, and it's, it became very complex because I then was involved in a variety of things at a time and end up talking with governmental people sometimes and just saying, look, you, you don't understand. Don't shout and ball and scream at football because a small percentage of them are making these noises. Have a look at your culture. yeah, And don't treat all football fans like animals because you are. You know, the way they, they were, some football fans were policed and things like that because a small section who claimed to be football fans, oh, don't get me started in the hooligans, by the way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it's all, it's, again, it was all covered at a time. And, and I just thought one of the interesting things about the book, I didn't I have not retrofitted this. This is how I felt. Now we have gone into a part of a society now where, you know, history has been slightly retrofitted by a lot of people for you know, people have been judged by this the standards of today. Well, I judge in this book by the standards of then. Yeah. Because I want you feel I want you to feel what it was like. Um and I, I I could easily have retrofitted it and it could have made me look better and things like that, but no, I'm just going to tell you what it felt like. So that anyone younger is reading this, they'll get a sense of really, was it like that? Yeah. Uh, Yes, it was. And that, this is why it was like that because casual, casual racism was everywhere. Yeah. It's still around and it always probably will be to some degree, but it's a wee bit less casual now because we, and many of us, and it's great to see Rahim's and, you know Rashfords and all that standing up and doing it and saying the right things and doing the right things and people at me can stand back in the background now and say well done. Um, it's brilliant that it's now a major part of conversations it's not it's not pleasant one sometimes but I'm happy it's more mainstream now.
0: Yeah, it's that it's that idea of the Overton window, that window of what's allowed into kind of common discourse or polite conversation as it might be called the
1: thing is i'm not woke i'm not woke i'm really unwoke and as people understand that i'm not trying to tell you how to think i just want to understand what everybody feels and by we can we have a conversation
0: yeah Um, it's whether that's truly narrowed and obviously it, it has because you don't it would be absurd to say that you hear the same kind of stuff uh at football grounds now that that was just commonplace and pervasive uh exactly. back then but whether it's shifted rather than narrowed is is a kind of interesting point but um it's it's playing out in, in real time things are getting better but there's a there's a long road to to I- travel
1: and who's not saying that? Absolutely. I'm yeah. absolutely saying that. But we're, we're traveling that road just now. And, you know, I just. Could you imagine if I, a, a current player walked out and he had 15,000 people singing what we used to be sang yeah. to them? Yeah. He, I, I, you can't actually imagine that out with Eastern Europe at the moment, can you? Yeah.
0: It well, wouldn't happen. Yeah. And this is, this is where a particularly. Disappointing that it's creeping onto the pitches as, as well amongst amongst players. But what's
1: gratifying? No, no, I'd say I disagree with that. I don't think it's creeping onto the pitches.
0: Well, I think it, it was
1: always there in the pictures, really. But the you will get the odd one now But it's always spoken about now. There yes. were plenty of people back then. that were saying things were absolutely considered awful. Now yeah. there is actually far fewer doing it. So it's not actually on the pitches anywhere near as bad as it was. But it's still unacceptable, yeah. unbelievably unacceptable. Oh, so okay. again, I'd, I I won't retrofit things. I need to tell you the way it was.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, I want to um, talk a little bit because I was I was at the semi final when you you scored. I was standing on the halt end, and you kind of uh, you kind of. Um, Sort of half stumbled over one and, and got yeah. one into the into the back of the net, and Everton beat Norwich on that strangest of days um, because the fans, very much like like the players, didn't know what had happened at Hillsborough um, until the match had finished, and that that kind of emptying out of, of words and the stillness and the quiet outside the ground, and you, you know you, you write with um, a real sensitivity about about that, that time but what was it, what was it like at the, on the inside when it came to the, that final because I was at the final as well and it was very strange until the match started and as soon as the match started it was, you know, full-on match. Mm-hmm. Um, is, that, is that how it felt on the other side of the fourth wall?
1: It had to be, so yeah. on. Uh, there was no other way to do it. You couldn't, um, it, would, it wouldn't have been shown respect Yeah. to, to, to do anything less. Um, I didn't particularly want the game to go ahead. Uh, I thought look, so many people had been killed that it was just a silly thing to do. It was the only game of football, and it'd be a mark of respect not to do it. But the families, they wanted it played, and they were they're far more important than any opinion I had. So I said, "Well, yeah, but we'll go for it." And I, I mean, it's, it's one of the things. It, it had to be Everton Liverpool. It couldn't be anyone yeah. else. It had to be um the entire world wanted liverpool to win I, we got that as well but we weren't going to let them win easily and we weren't, weren't going to step off it um and it turned out to be a really really fantastic game there is a moment and I almost used this in the in the book of this picture but i decided not to um because of space we um i think i can't remember because i've never watched a game back <laughs> but we scored a goal and i got A ball, and I, it was a very David Silver moment. I got a ball drawn through two, two players towards me, and as they came towards me, I slipped it wide. It might have been Neil McDonald put it in and shoot McCall scored. Yeah, and there's us running away from it, celebrating it, right? But about 40 30 seconds later, there's Everton fans on the pitch, and I was furious. Yeah, I was absolutely fuming, thinking people have died because they were caged in. And we're running on the pitch as soon as you take your cages down. Can't you see how stupid that is? And how think- I'm thinking. And I know it was just in a moment, but my anger was... The thing is, nobody else really mentioned that great deal because it was the cup final and we moved on. And I remember thinking, there were politicians watching here thinking they can't be trusted this lot. And yeah. I, it really hurt me a lot. And it got us off. But then that was the one, maybe one moment in the game, I just thought, come on guys can we not be more respectful you know I was upset but you know we moved on we got beat the, the Liverpool were a great team as I keep on saying they cheated by bringing Ian Rush on absolutely allowed. Um, but you know did I walk away devastated despondent absolutely not no I didn't we could be I'd rather have won I was disappointed yeah but there's no way I'm walking about with a big glum face on for six weeks when people have died. The yeah. same No, I can't do that.
0: I mean, it, it it felt like that at the at the time. Um, the defeat felt like it was it was part of a, a, a bigger story. That's not. Mm-hmm to demean what what happened into saying it's some kind of soap opera or anything like that but it wasn't as it didn't sting as much as an fa cup final defeat or as a, a derby defeat woods because of all that context exactly. um you know that's where that's where we were on the on the other side as as well and you're absolutely right about a cheat code of bringing ian rush on to, to score, <laughs> I think two substitutes each scored two goals because McCall got two for, yeah, for us as well um, but I just want to ask one thing uh, before I leave that and move to the, the last point because you've been ridiculously generous with your time nice, right? for which I'm very grateful um, but there was the, the famous photograph where the teams were mixed in together was that spontaneous? Was that planned? Was that something that the photographers wanted? Um, you know, on Merseyside, Merseyside, Merseyside was ringing round Wembley
1: do you know, I can't remember if it was deliberate or not, but it felt natural. I yeah, know that. It felt that. natural
0: it at felt the time, nat- yeah.
1: It wasn't a kind of a big showpiece. Oh, There's sometimes you see things in football now and they do seem so horribly staged. Well. And you're thinking, oh, you're just not getting I'm not getting this. And you, you feel manipulated, don't you? Well, some and of us were
0: it- a bit surprised that John Terry didn't turn up in his full kit on Saturday night.
1: So. <laughs> <Exactly>. Some <laughs> things are <laughs> manipulated and you just think, Oh, no. And it, you, and I don't like feeling manipulated, in the media do. And as, as, there are certain programmes, we'll not go into them. news programmes, that are so manipulative at the moment. Mm. Which that, I mean, absolutely, I, I feel as if i mean being treated like a four-year-old. It wasn't like that. It was something shared. It was something deeply shared. Um, it would be no actually not to, to intermingle, really. It would, have been, it would have been right. So I felt comfortable, and of course we all got on okay, and... Barnsley and all the rest we all, all got on fine you know it's, it's a bit like I, mean, I come from the background of Celtic and Rangers yeah. and uh, supposed to all the players were supposed to hate each other they, they, they didn't <laughs> they usually got on alright the vast majority of them you know it's just the fans that used to have a dig at each other so no it was the right thing to do it was, uh, I, I don't know I, I've not I've written a lot about that time about the semi-final about what happened after it about the final itself Um I'm still not sure what I feel. One day I will go back and watch that game. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, but I suspect it was a good game. It
0: it it was. It was a glorious sunny day like, like this one as well, which always always helps. But it was a strange day. It was a strange day for so many uh reasons. But I was I was glad I was there in some ways to bear bear witness. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Everton conducted themselves and indeed have since uh, the time have conducted themselves with, with wow. great dignity and great support.
1: Well, all the, f- the things that, that happened afterwards, you know, the way that the entire city got together, the entire area got together, um, there's never been... I mean, if there is a negative, I can't remember it, but it would stick out, it would jar, because yeah. they just don't feel that way. Because yeah. in the midst of it, you know, Liverpool is its own... Satellite of the world, it's you know, it's, its own place and it has its own personality, and its own personality doesn't. It knows how to behave. And, well, and it we knows how to do the right thing, and that's that's why maybe that's why there was that moment of fury with me when people come on at that moment because I thought that's not like you. Yeah, it's not like you to do this. You, you know that we're. We're trying to get over this thing. So I was, but there was seconds, and it was away again. But
0: it's a great photo, though. It really is. I've seen it, and it is a great uh-huh. photo. <laughs> what am I, what am, you mentioned Celtic and Rangers one of my other favourite photos was a front cover of I think of When Saturday Comes, I don't know if you recall if you mentioned Mo Johnston and I think it was after he signed for uh, Rangers and he's on his knees at Ibrox or something and the, the caption has a speech bubble coming out of his mouth saying Father forgive me for I have signed <laughs> <laughs> which was very good uh, very good exactly. I thought um, just one, uh, two last, last questions um again they, they come from a kind of personal uh, perspective because I'm, I'm i'm grabbing you greedily as an interlocutor for some of these uh, these questions and i suspect this is another one that you haven't been asked <laughs> in promoting the book but you you talk about your uh, extraordinary um injury uh, recovery uh in a matter of months from a was it an acl
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: and you know i think that speaks testament to your fitness regime you would have no problem with jock wallace's sand dunes going up and no. down those as he, he used to do no, not at all no not at of dennis rofe and co uh, but you come back very very quickly from injury i just want to ask and this is partly from your work with the pfa and some chickens coming home to roost i've always been flabbergasted that the PFA and players, not so much players, but the PFA seem to be relaxed about um, their members being sent out with cortisone injections to do high-impact, high-intensity uh, physical activity. Um, some players, it seems, being injected with cortisone on a, a fairly regular basis. Um, when, As a fan, I don't really want to see... Uh, any anybody taking those kind of risks with their future health? Um, was there a view? Is there a view on on players uh, being assisted in their injury recovery by um, these artificial means, unlike doing the hard yards that you did to get back so quickly?
1: Um, very few players were ever forced.
0: They yeah. demanded.
1: It wasn't like that.
0: But um, players, players are not it, always the best, don't exactly. always act in their own best interests. I, I mean, known, that's where the PFA comes in.
1: No, it's not. Isn't uh, it? Because the players would say, uh, I need that done, I need playing this game. I've watched it happen time and again. And the doctor would say no. The club would say no. So they would go somewhere else and do it themselves. Good. Yeah. That's, that's how extreme professionals are yeah. Elite professionals will do whatever they can. And it's not just football. It's, I mean, no athletes do it everywhere. Um, if you look at the, the monies that the PFA had, the money was in accident insurance, the money that was in health injury stuff, huge millions of pounds that they had and were paid out for it and helped people recover. I mean, yes. they paid for both of my hips. Um, but they were always on the back of that. But you see, try to tell anybody, oh, we don't want you to play. The player would go, get lost, I'll decide. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely, it was really interesting. And the reason why I know it is, sadly, it was me too.
0: Really? I would
1: take unbelievable yeah. chances. There's, um, there is actually, in part two, sadly, part two's already finished. Um, in the second part, the second book, um, I tell a number of stories about that. Uh, very specific ones, where I come back from injuries that are unbelievable. I mean, certainly, I played in the Euros, with a car broken leg, a crack in my ankle. I couldn't hit the ball over more than 40 yards, but I played. You know, and I'm, I'm someone who's supposed to be sensible. Yeah. I come back from the, the ACL, uh, as you say, it was three months, it wasn't nine. Uh, but the worst one, but, and by miles, the worst one, is uh, you watched the, the Brown injury the other night. Um, well, I, I went up for a header. Yes, guys. <laughs> and I went up for a header and training was at Kilmarnock and but I hadn't looked behind me and I was, so went to turn and smash it in at the back post of my head. Somebody come in and basically took me out with the back of their head. So yeah. I'm lying in the ground and uh, Gus McPherson, the dummy's looking at me and I went, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And he's going, no, went, no, no, if we finish, carry on. And he went, no, <laughs> So they, they all come over and I went, I'll be fine. Okay. I went to put my hand on the side of my cheek and it wasn't there. Oh. The whole side of my face had been yeah. smashed in, right? So the whole side had gone, co- uh, compound fracture, cheekbone, noise. I was, I was a mess, right? Mm-hmm. So he rushed me into the hospital, got the operation, and the doctors. and uh, the next morning the doctor came in and he goes, right, ask the question. I went, what? He says, ask the question. Um, when can I play again? He yeah. goes, yes, that's the question. Yeah. You all do the same. Yeah. Every one of you. And I don't know how sensible you are, how stupid you are. You all do the same. And I went, well, how long then? And he said, six to eight weeks. And I went, oh, six weeks then? Yeah, and I yeah. went, anyway, I talked him down to three and a half. And I oh. played three and a half weeks. And I was saying to him, no, no, I'm fine though, after these three and a half weeks. I wasn't. Oh. And, I, and if I had the ball, i got caught in the wrong way there that I would have, got, I'd have smashed my face in again. So I'll be honest with you. The PFA were trying. Yeah. The players were saying, no, we, if we lose our place in the team here because we're staying out when we might have made it in the team, I might lose my job at the end of the season and I may be finished. Yeah. And by the way, are you going to compensate me then? Yeah. So uh, for all the fact that you point towards then, it wasn't them. <laughs> it really wasn't them in that one. There's a lot of things the PFA could have done better and certainly as I, when I became chairman in the end, we, we tried to cover every base and the millions that have been spent and the time that's been spent in education and different health things, be it mental, physical, whatever. Huge amounts. And if the, the union trips up one one thing or is a bit slow off the mark on one thing, that's all you hear about. It is an unbelievable force for good and yeah. has been for decades.
0: It, it, it is all you hear about, but if, like me, you turn off Simon Jordan the moment you hear his voice, it does help. Uh, but that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> I, I don't... This- I,
1: it's it's interesting. Now. I mean, it's just the way we are in this country. I I wrote. Can I, can I actually, I'll tell you a wee bit about. Go on. Um, There's a bit in the book about some of my meetings with the PFA and I became, you know, in the management committee a little bit. I've wrote much more about it in the second um, when I was chairman. And what I wrote about it was about six pages worth of what the PFA did and stories about when some of the people were helped, not naming them. But these are some of the greatest names in the history of the game, right? And how we helped them, right? And uh, the the editors went, well, it's a bit boring. (laughs) I I went, no, no, but yeah, it is a bit, and how they do for pensions, but wouldn't it be nice for people to know this? And they went, well, we'll kind of skip over it. So I edited it down to about half a page. Um, And by the way, that's not just that. I've I've taken twenty thousand words out of this book. <laughs> I had a lot more to say, you, you, but you know, all we'll I somewhere else. Well, but you it, should. The good things have been good.
0: You should uh, you should give an unexpurgated uh, version, uh, the director's cut, or something like like but that.
1: You There's never plenty
0: know. People, people
1: might have that.
0: <laughs> be fascinating. Well, I was going to finish actually on on this point about the second book because you you I've I've. I, you've already said but I, I'd read or heard somewhere that you've already got it finished yeah. so what can we expect in uh, in uh, kind of Rambo 2, I, Nevin 2 I don't,
1: well I don't know, I'll tell you the reason why, I sat down and, 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 and wrote this book right, without telling anyone or talking to anyone or publishers or anything right? and then I have got to about 120,000 words and thought actually that's quite a lot of words and I've only got to um, 26, 27 <laughs> um, I suppose I better show it to them Someday. So I showed it to them and they liked it. Right, fine, brilliant. Yeah. I didn't stop writing. I just kept going. So there wasn't a kind of plan or anything. I just thought, well, that's a cut off because I've done too many words. I'll just keep on going now. So it's actually the same thing. <laughs> it's just like it just kind of runs on. It's like One sentence finishes another one starts kind of thing. And the next one. And it's... Uh, but what the next one is... is fun. A lot of people said you were kind of weird and had a different outlook and a different thing we'll see the next one (laughs) it gets mega weird it really does get really weird because I become chairman of the union chief executive and player at Motherwell the stuff I go through the Tramier stuff is surreal I mean honestly I'm smiling as I'm telling you about it it's very funny those dark things happen as well Um, but the stuff I, I don't know what's the best, but the most fun bit the best, the most fun bit. But the stuff that happened when I was at Motherwell, honestly, and I, and I know it's not a big sell because Chelsea and Everton's a big sell to everybody, but I was kind of hoping that if I wrote this and it's well written and people like the kind of feel of it and are entertained by it, that might allow the second one to be out there. And they might go, oh, I'll go with him. I was interested in what he was doing there. Um, and I might not be playing for the biggest teams in the world at this point in time but you know we enjoyed the journey so that's, that was the thinking um, and then part three <laughs> shall we leave?
0: Shall we leave that to Norman? We, we'll maybe, we'll maybe leave that. I, I, I thought you were going to say that it gets really weird, and Norman Whiteside does turn up at Marcy's house. But <laughs> we'll, 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 leave that for the uh, the readers yeah. of the of the first volume. Well, yeah. it's been uh, an absolute delight. I apologise for taking you way over yeah. time, but you read rag to a bull. You said I could have more time, yeah, and something. I could literally sit here and talk for another two hours and listen to you. Um, but I, I shan't. I'll. Come a day there um, you're already at number one so I can hardly what was it was it number one or top ten you were top
1: no, ten well, enough, it's a bit of shock to me I don't really understand again sometimes I just don't understand how it really works and I didn't even think about book charts and things like that apparently you're supposed to and I don't I just want to write something nice that people might like um, but it went to number one in the Amazon football charts and it was in the sports book charts at number one as well for something um, briefly there um, but it was actually it got to the top 10 in the hardback uh, general books. Uh, Now, even I know that's quite surprising. (laughs) So it's it's fully,
0: it's fully deserved. It's an absolute uh, delight to read. And it's, uh, it, 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 it reveals a lot as well and for anybody who sort of uh, like me was to say on the other side of that fourth wall um and was fairly well informed it's got plenty of stuff there that that i didn't think was was happening but plenty of stuff that you recognize you know coming to london as a and living the student lifestyle i can remember that and the, the good nights i can't remember but that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's how it goes at that at that time um there's tons and tons more i mean looking down my list here as i say, there's so much more in the book and I'm sure our listeners will be uh, queuing up to, uh, as I used to say about the Human League's black hit of space get to number one and then into minus figures but uh, <laughs> but on, on that on that point, uh, Pat, I will thank you very much indeed for your generosity with your time uh, today but also your generosity in, in writing so revealing and engaging a, a book. Thank you very much
1: yeah. It's been my pleasure